Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Psychic Teachers. I'm your host, Samantha Fay. And I'm Deb Bowen. And today we're going to be discussing how to tell the difference between your imagination and your intuition. Now, I don't know about you, Deb, but I used to think these two were very separate things. But now I'm not so sure. If we know that in order to manifest anything, we have to first think it into existence, then something very real is happening when we're just imagining And yet we also know that much of intuition happens in the mind's eye. So is the mind's eye the same as imagination? And if intuition and imagination do indeed occur in the same liminal space, then how can we tell the difference between the two? This is what we're hoping to discuss today. What are your thoughts on that before we dive into some of our notes? Well, you know, later on in the podcast, I'll be talking about the notion of visualizing, just as you're saying, we manifest into existence what we want to be and some of the steps and processes to make that happen include being able to see or hear or feel or use your senses in some way to bring something into being. And if that's not imagination, I don't know what is. Right. So it can get complicated and kind of confusing, right? I mean, the word itself, imagination, is fraught with so many complicated definitions and terms. And Neville Goddard's The Power of Imagination, he writes, the word imagination has no status nor fixed significance. For example, we ask someone to use their imagination, meaning that the present outlook is too restricted and therefore not equal to the task. But in the next breath, we tell this person that their ideas are pure imagination, implying that their ideas are unsound. We speak of a jealous or suspicious person as a victim of their imagination, meaning that this person's thoughts are untrue. A minute later, we pay someone the highest tribute by describing them as a person of imagination. Goddard goes on to say, even the dictionary is no help. It defines imagination as the picturing power or act of the mind, the constructive or creative principle, a phantasm, an irrational notion or belief, And finally, planning a mental construction. Ultimately, Goddard believes that imagination is the gateway of reality. I really like that phrase, the gateway of reality. You know, there's a Chinese proverb that says, thought is the ancestor of action. 
And I've always really liked that too, because everything does first begin with our thoughts. And really, what are our thoughts other than things that are happening in our mind, in our mind's eye, in our imagination? I can't imagine, pardon the pun here, I can't imagine not having imagination. You know, when I was a little girl, I had imaginary friends. I had an imaginary horse. And they were as real to me as you are, to the point that my mother never quite knew what was, quote, true and what was not in my life. And there were days that I would go out for a walk in our neighborhood. And I was very little, I mean, under five before school. And I would come home with bouquets of flowers. And she thought I was stealing them from neighbor's yards. And I would say, Miss Fanny gave them to me. And she thought I had made Miss Fanny up. Well, Miss Fanny was very real. It was a lovely elderly neighbor who lived down the way who really did send flowers home to my mom through me. But mama (laughs) didn't know what was true and what was not. And I'm not sure that I did either. So there you go. Well, I had a similar problem with imagination and intuition because when I was a kid, my parents used to make such fun of me because they said I started every sentence with imagine if. You know, like we'd be driving and I'd say, imagine if you saw a giant on top of that mountain over there. Like I was constantly saying things like that. But then when I remember one day I ran downstairs to the playroom and I saw a woman and she was sitting on on this table against the window. She was dressed in this beautiful, beautiful gown. But I could see the table and the window in my backyard through her and through the dress. And she looked at me and smiled. She was very kind and beautiful, but I was terrified. And I remember running up the stairs screaming, there's a ghost in our house. And and I remember my mom saying, oh, honey, you and your imagination. So for me, it was always very, very tricky because, yeah, I did have this very vivid imagination. However, comma, I also had, you know, this very strong intuition and I knew I knew as a kid that what I was seeing was real. And I, I knew the difference between my imagination and my intuition. And yet, very often, the two are put together or we're told intuition is imagination or, or vice versa. And I think as especially if you're a budding intuitive and you're just learning to trust your intuition and you get a thought or an idea or a picture in your mind's eye, you might think, well, is that my imagination? Am I making that up? Or is that my intuition? And it can be really, really hard. Well, and but if you go back to the story you've just told, you knew you didn't imagine that woman. You knew she was really there. Yes. Well, the same was true with me and my spirit guide. I knew he was real. Mama thought I was making him up, but he was really there. He still is really there. Okay, but let's say you get this thought, there's just this feeling. Like I remember before COVID, that was March. And I remember starting in January, every time I would meditate, I kept hearing this phrase, you know, that old um, Bradbury title, something wicked this way comes. Yes. I kept hearing that every time I would meditate, I would, I don't know, that title would just drop in my head. And I remember talking to my friend Denise about it. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And she was like, well, you know, try to explore and and go deeper. And is it something bad coming to you? Is it something bad coming to the world? And and I was like, no, it feels more generalized, like, you know, everywhere, something wicked this way comes. And I remember when the lockdowns happened, 
that message stopped. But for those few months, I didn't know, was that my imagination? Was that intuition? And I didn't know what to do with it, really. Does that ever happen to you? Yes, it does happen to me. It happens to me with song lyrics being predictive of something coming. There are mornings that I wake up with lyrics in my head. I I do that most mornings. But sometimes when they repeat themselves day after day, I know that that's some kind of a message that my imagination, my subconscious is trying to get through to me. And they do it often with song lyrics. And I've learned to trust it. I have too, but I, I do understand people who have a hard time with it. We got an email from a listener and she's a young mom and she has young kids. And she said she often gets this feeling that something bad is going to happen to one of her kids. And she said, you know, how do I tell the difference between is this my imagination, just mom worry, or is this my intuition? And I, I totally understand that because sometimes you just worry on something and it's like a, like a cold sore, like you just can't stop, you know, bothering it. And then you wonder like, oh, am I going to make this happen if I keep thinking about it? And so one thing I told her is that intuition is never scary, right? Like even though I kept hearing that something wicked this way comes, I wasn't like terrified or scared. I just knew it was kind of like a warning because when my intuition speaks to me, there's really not a lot of emotion with it. It's just very factual and it's kind of dropped in and it's repetitive and it doesn't change. And I remember asking her, does the message change? And she said, sometimes it does. Like sometimes she'll have a feeling like, oh, something's going to happen to one of her kids and then it's another kid. That lets you know that's your imagination. If it's jumping around, flitting around, that's just worry. Well, let's look at the difference. As you have just explained to us, some of the definitions and ways of looking at the word imagination. Take us now into looking at intuition. Well, the word intuition means to intuit, feel, and sense things. And the dictionary defines intuition as the ability to understand something immediately without conscious reasoning. So think about that word immediately, because this is how intuition works. It's an instant knowing, an instant feeling, or an instant sensation where you know or feel something to be true without understanding how you know or feel this way. Whereas imagination takes more time. You have to think about something, build a picture, hold it in your mind's eye. Yet both imagination and intuition happen in the right brain, the creative side. They also feel the same. When you're imagining or intuiting, you feel as though you're in the flow, in the zone. And this is why it can be really confusing to discern the difference between the two. Take this example from a letter the famous 18th century mystic painter and poet William Blake wrote to his friend when the friend was grieving the loss of a family member. He consoled him in a letter by sharing his own experiences after his brother's death. He wrote, I know that our deceased friends are more really with us than when they were apparent to our mortal part. Thirteen years ago, I lost my brother. And with his spirit, I converse daily and hourly and see him in my remembrance in the region of my imagination. I hear his advice and even now write from his dictate. He talks to his brother every day in the region of his imagination. And yet I want to point out that William Blake had this really powerful dream when his deceased brother visited him. And it was at a time when Blake and his wife were really struggling. He had a printing business and trying to be an artist and poet wasn't working. And his brother in this dream showed him a way to make cheaper copies 
of the printings that he was trying to do to support his artwork. And Blake said he never could have come up with that idea on his own. It came from his brother. Did it come from his brother? Did it come from his imagination? Did it come from the collective unconscious? I don't know. I think it came from his brother. What do you think? I absolutely do. He also said the world of imagination is the world of eternity. I love that idea. It's true. In our imagination, everything is eternal. Everything is now. And we can use, we can tap that creative space, not only to enhance our intuition, but also to enhance our manifesting capacities. Nothing really begins and nothing really ends. Exactly. Napoleon Hill, author of the best-selling books such as Think and Grow Rich, often described his technique of consulting the invisible council. He chose nine deceased men that he greatly admired. And every night when he was falling asleep, he would just imagine talking with these men to seek their advice and input. He called these visualization techniques his nightly meetings, and he would not write a word or prepare a speech without first consulting this group. It was so successful that Napoleon Hill became afraid he was indulging his imagination too much, so he put a stop to his nightly meetings. But soon after that, he dreamt that President Lincoln visited him in a dream and told him to restart the nightly meetings because they missed them and they had important work to do together. Napoleon did just that and went on to pen over a dozen best-selling books that are still in print today. So what's happening here? Are Blake and Hill confusing imagination with intuition or vice versa? Or is there a bridge between the two? I think there's a bridge between the two. Personally, I do. And I love this suggestion that Napoleon Hill gives us about creating that dream team. And, and I've seen other writers since then build on his idea of doing that, other writers, other folks who, who want to manifest whatever. And I think that's a great thing for our listeners to think about is that you don't have to do this alone. When you're looking, and we're going to talk more about this later as we talk about manifesting in other ways, but I think it's a great idea to build that dream team and to work with both imagination and intuition. Well, in Dream Work for the Soul, Rosemary Ellen Guiley writes, the land of dreams is part of the mundus imaginalis or imaginal world, a real place recognized by cultures around the world since ancient times. We can access this liminal world through petition, meditation, and dreams. I think the main difference is this. When we use our imagination, we are in charge of the visualization, sensations, and pictures. We are the driver, the cruise director of our imagination. When we use our intuition, the universe, the collective conscious, our guides, ancestors, and angels are driving the bus. So does that make sense, Deb? Like when you're imagining something, you are the movie director, the costume designer, the producer, the actor and actress. You are the one who's doing all of the, the work. But when intuition is in charge, it just comes to you. It's like a download. It's just there without you soliciting it. Let me play with that a minute, Samantha, because... I, I hear what you're saying. I understand the intent of, of what you just said. But you know me, I can be kind of a control freak about things. And so so the thought that, that, that my intuition comes to me from somewhere else, that I don't have some kind of internal connection to it. Like, for example, when I think of intuition, I think of work from the solar plexus chakra. So I think of that as being me and my understanding and ability to participate in the intuitive process in addition to it being downloaded from somewhere else. That makes sense to me when you're doing intuitive work. I'm talking about when 
you've already awakened your intuition and you're learning to work with it and trust it. And you're driving down the road or you're running from one meeting to the next, or you're sitting at your office answering 55 emails and you keep getting this unsolicited thought in your head, call my friend Hillary. I need to call Hillary, call Hillary, call Hillary. And you finally find some time in your day to call Hillary. And she says, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you called. I'm having the worst day. A, B, and C happened. I've been meaning to reach out to you. I just need to process this and talk about it. What do you think? You were feeling that need of your friend who really needed someone to talk to. You weren't soliciting that. You weren't actually focusing on your solar plexus chakra or your throat chakra to hear clear audiently. It just came to you. I hear what you're saying. I'm not sure I agree with you, but I hear what you're saying. What do you mean you don't agree with me? Haven't you ever had a thought or idea pop into your head? You follow it and it ends up being exactly what you needed to do? Of course. What do you call that? I'm not always sure it comes from an external source. Oh, it always comes from Deb? No, I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't put words in my mouth. What I said was, I'm not sure it always comes from an external source. No, I agree with that. I mean, sometimes it is an internal source, but I think too, I remember when, uh, when my friend George passed and he was telling me that, you know, he's working on music and, and composing and they had to find the right open-minded creative person who was receptive to the compositions they were working out on to drop it in if that makes sense. And did you? Well, he did. Yeah. But I feel like that's how it is with um, going back to my Bradbury reference. He has that wonderful essay called inviting the muse or invoking the muse. And he talks about how he thinks there are creatives on the other side or muses on the mountains, however you want to look at it, who come up with all these wonderful ideas. And they look for people who are uniquely receptive to that idea and they, and they drop it in. Like if you're on the other side, Deb, and you want to write a book and you have this idea for this wonderful, wonderful hallmarky romance, which I know you would never write, but just go with me here. And you want to drop it into someone. Would you drop it into Stephen King's head? No, no. You'd have to find someone who is into that type of hallmarky romance and drop it into their head. That's what I mean about an external source. Okay. All right. For sake of, for sake of time here, I'll, I'll go with you here. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I found when I was doing some research on the difference between intuition and imagination, there's a website called thesagemethod.com, and she has an exercise on there to help you discern the difference between your imagination and your intuition. She says, a simple practice of acknowledging the information that comes through, you can try erasing it, wiping it away, and then waiting. So you kind of, you, you get the information and then you try to like just delete it. She says, follow these three steps. When something pops into your head and you're unsure if it was your imagination or intuition, bring it back to the forefront of your mind by recreating it and spend 10 seconds intently focusing on it. After 10 seconds, wipe it away, erase it from your mind, like you're using an eraser on a chalkboard. And then finally, spend the next 10 seconds focusing your effort on not recreating it in your mind. Focus only on holding your mind still. Now, she says, if you were able to easily recreate it in step one and it did not come back to you after you erased it in step three, then it's your imagination. 
if you struggle to recreate it in step one and it came back to you after you erased it in step three, then it's your intuition. And I think that's interesting because those intuitive messages that do pop in, they are often very strong and they're repetitive and they don't go away. And like I said before, they don't change. She says, in this practice, you are slowing down that split second of creation and paying closer attention. You are standing there saying, okay, let's replay this and see if this time it's easier to recreate it, meaning imagine it, or witness it, meaning it's coming from your intuition. This quick practice, she says, when done again and again, will produce a few results. You will start to feel what creating something with your imagination feels like. It will become easier to feel the witnessing action of intuition. You will be able to delineate more and more between the two feelings. And in the future, when something pops into your head, you'll finally know if it was intuition or imagination. So instead of sitting in frustration of not knowing if you made something up or not, you start to see your imagination as a process of creating and your intuition as a process of witnessing. Once you do, you'll be more able to rely on your intuition and feel more confident that you didn't make something up. I like that differentiation of creating and witnessing. That makes a lot of sense. Well, it does. I think that's an interesting thing to try. Have you tried that? I have. And it is it is kind of confusing to um, erase it away and, and, and then do that, that step of calming your mind down. And I have noticed that when it is intuition, it's just there. Like no matter what you do, it's there. It's not going away. Whereas with imagination, you might struggle to recreate the exact image or the exact words. It really does help you delineate between creating and witnessing. And I think that calming your mind down helps a lot too if you're having those anxious imagination thoughts that are more from a place of worry than intuition or even imagination. I think it's an interesting thing to try. I'll try it and see what happens. Let's take a quick break and talk about some things we have coming up. And then when we get back, Deb, you'll share with us some techniques for creative visualization. But before we do that, I just want to let everyone know that I have a really exciting class coming up at the end of April. If you're looking to dive into your intuition by learning more about psychic tools, I hope you check out my upcoming webinar where I'm going to teach everyone how to work with psychometry and pendulums to enhance your intuition. The class is taught live over Zoom on April 20th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern, but it will be recorded and emailed to you the next day. So if you can't make it live, no worries. Also, don't forget I have autographed copies of my book, The Awake Dreamer, available on my website. And if you sign up for my newsletter, the theme this month is, okay, you're intuitive, now what? All of that and more can be found at samanthafay.com. How about you, Deb? Samantha, I'm so excited to tell folks, first of all, a huge thank you to all of our listeners who have read my newest creative nonfiction piece in Salvation South Literary Magazine. It's called A Talisman for Poseidon. A course that you all have asked me for a long time to teach is coming in May, and that is a course on working with Tarot in terms of symbolism and archetypes, not as a divination tool. So watch my newsletter and website for that. You can get all of this information in details and so much more on my website, debbowen.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? 
Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, let's get back to the show. Deb, do you want to talk to us about using our imagination to help us manifest? Absolutely. Shakti Gawain, who was just absolutely a brilliant writer and metaphysician, back in 1978, wrote a groundbreaking book entitled Creative Visualization. So this idea, the notion of, quote, seeing something into existence comes from her, who is the mother of the concept. Basically, this idea uses mental imagery and affirmations to bring about positive changes in your life. This book paved the way for the use of visualization in sports, in business, the arts, healthcare, almost everywhere. In using meditations, exercises such as the one Samantha mentioned earlier, and of course, visualization, you can achieve what you want in life, said Shakti. You can change habits, you can change patterns, improve self-esteem, meet career goals, become more creative, and so much more according to her work. So for example, scientists have shown that the brain processes a daydream the way it does a memory. This means that when you daydream, your subconscious is storing this as a memory, a fact. Once you get an idea or a belief into your subconscious, you can bring your goals from the dream state into real time. So one of the ways that this creative visualization began to to work and manifest itself was in sports where uh, athletes would go into uh, a daydream kind of liminal kind of space and see themselves running at a certain speed or, or doing whatever the sport was they needed to do so that they, they truly embodied that dream into a physical reality in, t- in terms of muscle memory so that later they were able to actually act out what they had been dreaming about. When the brain is allowed to freely daydream, it activates an area of the brain called the default mode network or DMN. We're not even consciously aware of this activation happening. We can't control when the DMN is activated, but we can control the thoughts and the daydreams we have that program our DMN with positive images and goals we're working on. Science writer, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name correct, Josie Gallia says, says, quote, Daydreams are an inner world where we can rehearse the future. I love that idea of rehearsing our future, because like you were saying with the sports study, not only did they show that that helped them have a better run or whatever their athletic, athletic choice was, but their actual muscles fired when they were just imagining going through their, their race course, which is absolutely intriguing. And so if we can take a hold of our imagination through our daydreams, we can rehearse the future for a better, more positive outcome. Because something I've talked about a lot on this show, and it's something I'm really fascinated by, is this idea that we're manifesting all the time and we're not aware of it. We're manifesting positively and negatively. 
And we've got to take control of our thoughts more and more and more and more. One of my friends, her mom was in a pretty bad car accident and she's okay. Thankfully, the car is totaled, but she's okay. And that's what matters. And no one else was hurt. But she said to me, she said, you know, my mom has been saying for a year, I need a new car, but I can't really afford one. And she's been saying it over and over and over again. And she said, what if she manifested this as a way, because now the insurance is going to pay for a new car. What do you think about that? I think that's exactly what happened. It's kind of scary to think about though, isn't it? It is. You know, our words have power. Our thoughts have power. I, I so believe uh, that we can manifest into being that which we think. I truly believe that. I, I know I have learned over the years that, that I feel like I have to be very careful with what I say, because it will come into fruition if I'm not. Yeah, exactly. Which is why affirmations can be helpful, but also just taking time throughout your day to really focus on some positive daydreams. This default mode network or, or DMN, it's where we get our sense of self. How else can we become a co-creator with the universe if we don't first understand ourselves as the source? Psychologist Susan Nolan Hoeksma define daydreaming as imagining situations in the future that are positive in tone. What you imagine most frequently is what you create. We're manifesting all the time. The only problem is that many of us are so caught up with worries and fears that this is what we manifest rather than the positive life we're striving for. And so you must learn to harness this power with positive images and emotions, or your life will continue to be a roller coaster of positive and negative experiences. And I think, Deb, this is where fake it till you make it does come into play. Because a lot of times you'll be in a situation, you're worried about it, you're fretting over something, I can't afford this car, or I hate my job and there's no other jobs out there right now. You know, you get in those yeah, but moments, right? Mm -hmm. And when you say an affirmation or you create a positive daydream, there's always that part of you that's like, mm, that's not going to happen. Or uh, that's a nice daydream. That's a nice affirmation, but mm, never worked out for me in the past. I think if you just say, yeah, maybe that's so. I'm just going to fake it till I make it and and keep visualizing this happening. I think it still works. One thing that I do is I will create a playlist of happy, positive, uplifting music to go along with my daydreams. So when I'm working out at the gym or walking my dog, I play that music and I go over and over the daydream. I think that's really important. Oh, I've been doing that for years. <laughs> it works, doesn't it? It does work. It absolutely does work. I, I have used music and playlists back in the days when we made playlists on cassette tapes. So that's a long time ago, I know. But, but I would do that with to evoke a certain emotion, to process uh, thoughts or feelings. And, and used it to, to be encouraging to myself. Uh, you know, for example, I, I have playlists now, even still now on my computer where I play songs that are there to evoke um, relaxation or pieces for meditation or pieces for peace or some that are just, you know, really happy. Thank goodness it's Friday afternoon music but they all evoke that 
sense of who I am and what I want my world to look like at that moment. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's Friday afternoon. I'm going to be listening to Jimmy Buffett. There you go. What, what would you say to people who are like, well, I don't know what to daydream about because I don't even know what I want. Oh, then that's where you have to start at. That's where you have to start. Yeah. Is, is asking yourself that question. And a lot of times where folks start with that is being able to list what they don't want. That's often where folks go with that. Well, I don't want to do this and I don't want to live here and I don't want to blah, 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 blah. Well, okay. So what's the opposite of that? What would that look like? If you could have, if you, if you could have anything in the world you want it right this minute, what would that be? And you have to be very careful about what you want. And, and I've done this in classes that I have taught about manifesting, Samantha. And so some folks may have heard this, but I remember for years, uh, I would, when I lived in suburbia, I would, I would say, I want to live on a particular island and, and be able to see the ocean every day. Well, I and I want to buy a house on that island. Well, finally, it got through to me that that's not what I wanted at all. I didn't want the burden of home ownership or the responsibility or the terror of having a hurricane come along on that island. I just wanted to go, wanted to be able to go and enjoy it and, and do whatever I wanted when I wanted to. And once I figured that out, then my whole approach to visualizing and manifesting what I wanted my time on that space to look like dramatically changed. And I was able to then cl be clear about what I did want and have indeed been able to manifest that. Yeah. And sometimes I think you can start with how do you want to feel? Yes. You know, rather than what do you want your life to look like? How do you want your life to feel and go from there? Well, what will make you feel happy? What will make you feel at peace? What will make you feel calm and centered and whole? And I think that's a, a good place to start as well. And the other thing I like to do is come up with an end result image. So if, for example, you're trying to manifest a new job, just picture yourself shaking hands over a desk with a contract on the table that you've just signed for that employment, right? Or if you are hoping to get a new car, just visualize yourself you know, signing the loan on the car and someone handing you the keys. Get to the end result of what it is you're trying to manifest and leave the house up to the universe. And don't be small with yourself. You know, Wayne Dyer used to always say, the universe is an ocean of abundance and we all go to it with a teaspoon. Mm, remember, and yeah, used to say, we should be bringing buckets. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember him saying that. I miss Wayne Dyer. Me too. I know. Now we've all heard that expression, thoughts are things, but luckily science has now proven this. Thoughts can be measured electromagnetically. The protein bases of DNA look like syntax and language, which has led scientists to speculate that our words truly can influence our DNA. Rudolf Steiner wrote that intuitives must understand that feelings and thoughts, things happening in our imagination, are just as real as tables and chairs in the world of the physical senses. He wrote, in the soul and thought world, feelings and thoughts react upon each other, just as do physical objects in the physical world. There can be no progress on the path to higher knowledge unless we guard our thoughts and feelings in the same way 
we guard our steps in the physical world. It's pretty powerful. Well, it really is. I'm thinking about that because I love Rudolf Steiner's work. And so I think about that notion of what is real, which takes me back to the idea, really, because what he's talking about here is quantum physics in that everything is just energy. And so how we feel, how we think, what we see, what we're able to touch is just a matter of vibrations and the way in which the molecules coalesce. And that's really what he's saying. You know, feelings are no different than stuff. It's just how we perceive them. I do too. But I think a lot of people, especially when we're in those times of of stress and the hamster wheel cycle of life, right? I think a lot of us aren't even aware of our thoughts and feelings throughout the day. Or if we are, we stuff them down because we don't have time to pull them out and, and honor them. Yeah. Push it down. Exactly. Which is why we always come back to meditation, journaling, moments of silence in your day so that you can get in touch with those thoughts and feelings. The happy thoughts and feelings, they're right there. They're bubbling up. You know, it's you're like your own little champagne bottle. They just bubble right up. But the uh, scary, negative, worrisome thoughts, we do tend to push those down. And I think if we want to guard ourselves, as Steiner is saying, against those types of thoughts and feelings, we do need to allow them to come to the surface and then try our best through daydreaming, creative visualization, imagining, and affirmations to shift those thoughts and feelings into the positive. As you were talking, I'm thinking sometimes I think it's hard for folks to let the good stuff bubble up. I, I think we as a society get so conditioned to fear and doubt and negativity that to be able to just stop and say, wow, it is a beautiful day and I am grateful. It's hard sometimes to find joy. So I think that too is a matter of learning to condition ourselves to see the world in a different way. Well, especially when you're raised in a family that tends to be more cautious or negative, or remember my former mother-in-law saying, don't trade the devil you know for the devil you don't know. Right. You know, um, or those, I hate those, all those sayings, like you can't have your cake and eat it too. But, you know, like in Shakti Gawain's book, like you mentioned, she says, we always attract into our lives whatever we think about the most, believe most strongly and expect on the deepest level and imagine most vividly. Well, what if as a kid you were told, oh, you're not the smart one in the family or you're not the pretty one or you're not the favorite or... Uh, life is hard or you've you've got to work all all the time. Life is work. You know, what if you were told that over and over and over again? It's going to be hard. You've got to do extra work to then shift that so that you're not attracting more of that. Absolutely true. You know, my sweet little daddy, when I would say something one was wonderful happening or going to happen or whatever, his response almost always was, yeah, honey, but there's just one thing is. <laughs> and and what he meant by that was, yeah, but there's a, all this list of bad stuff that could happen instead. And he always, almost always went there. It, it was always this negative stuff. And I still hear it. I can hear it in what I just said to you all in my daddy's voice. I can, I can hear it. And, and it, that was a hurdle I've really struggled to get over. And sometimes I default to his way of thinking. And I try to catch myself and say, yes, but what if something wonderful happens? 
Yeah. And then I try to hold on to all the times when something wonderful did happen. But, you know, even as a parent, Deb, I find myself doing crap like that. My daughter's stressing out because she's trying to find this paid internship. I I did not know this is a new thing. Like when I was in college, internships were not paid. Now they pay you. So she's trying to find this paid internship and I got to work this summer. I got to, and I said to her, honey, you have your entire life, like the rest of your life, once you leave college is just work and paying bills and getting up and doing it all over again. Enjoy your summer. And she kind of looked at me and she goes, is adulting that bad? And I thought, thought, oh my gosh, what did I just put in her head? You know? (laughs) So I think sometimes as parents, we do that and we don't mean to, I was trying to be positive. Like, don't worry about getting this huge eight to five, you know, big job. You got the rest of your life to do that. Have fun. But I think inadvertently I sent a message of adulting is hard. Well, yes. <laughs> Let's do a couple of other quotes from Gawain's creative visualization book because she had some great things to say. She says, every moment of your life is infinitely creative and the universe is endlessly bountiful. Just put forth a clear request and everything your heart truly desires must come to you. Oh, that's powerful. And I, I want to believe it. I really do. I think the thing, the key there is a clear request, meaning going back to our discussion of you have to know what you want and you have to know how you want to feel after you get what you want. And then I think the second step in that is surrendering it, you know, leaving the house up to the universe. She also writes, let us imagine that life is a river. Most people are clinging to the bank, afraid to let go and risk being carried along by the current of the river. At a certain point, each of us must be willing to simply let go and trust the river to carry us along safely. At this point, we learn to go with the flow, and it feels wonderful. Once we've become accustomed to being in the flow of the river, we can begin to look ahead and guide our course onward, deciding where the course looks best, steering the way around boulders and snags, and choosing which of the many channels and branches of the river we prefer to follow all while still going with the flow. I love that section of her book because it's not only about surrendering, it's also about trusting. And I feel like it's also including our intuition because she's saying once you learn to go with the flow, then you can help guide the course onward and look at, do I want to go around this boulder or avoid this snag? So it kind of combines the two, imagination and intuition, which I think is great. And she says the process of change does not occur on superficial levels through mere positive thinking. It involves exploring, discovering, and changing our deepest, most basic attitudes towards life. And I think the key there is changing how we see the world around us. You know, I I have this lovely friend and my, you know, over the years, folks, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know, my nickname for Samantha is Pollyanna. Well, Samantha's Pollyanna-ishness cannot hold a candle to my friend Anne. And I watched Anne go through, we've been friends for many years, and I've watched her go through lots of transitions in her life, some of which would, to me, be absolutely devastating. And I have watched her do those changes with grace and dignity and with cheerfulness and with excitement and expectation 
of what's next. This is a, a, a wonderful adventure, and here I go. And I've, I've watched and talked to her about her attitude a lot because I want what she's got. I don't always have that ability to be as expectant and exciting and as willing to change as she is. And I'm happy for her. And I would love to see us all have more of that. Me too. And I think that that change is, it's scary and it's not overnight, but it can happen. I have seen very good friends in my life who, when they came into my life 15, 20 years ago, were kind of negative Nellies, right? Not negative meaning mean or mean spirited, just negative towards themselves and, and how they thought life would work out. And I've seen them through the years work on this and change it and reap amazing benefits in their own lives. And then I've seen that echo out to people around them. That's the thing with all of this, whether it's your imagination or your intuition, when you're coming from a place of, of positivity and hope and expectation, not only does it change your life, and as we mentioned before, science is showing it changes your DNA, but it also helps influence the people around you. You know, there's, I think it's Tallulah Bankhead. Y'all, I'm getting ready to say a sort of a dirty word here. I think it's Tallulah Bankhead who made the statement, life is a banquet and most poor SOBs are starving to death. Oh, that's Auntie Mame. It is an Auntie Mame. Oh, yeah. but it's not Tallulah then. Okay. Yeah. All right. I love that quote. It's so true because we really can manifest whatever we want. I think that's what we're most afraid of, though, in some ways. I think people are more comfortable just wanting other people to fix things for them or maybe blaming other people. I think this idea that we really are in most, you know, percentage wise, a larger percentage, we are in charge of our destiny and our fate and our outcome. I think that's scary to a lot of people. If we really tap this idea that the majority of stuff that has happened in my life, I have helped co-create. I think that's, I think that can frighten some people. Don't you? Yeah. That's a lot of responsibility, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And yet again, Pollyanna here is talking, but if you can flip that on its head, you can see how incredibly empowering and impactful that is. That if you are a co-creator of your life through your thoughts and imagining and being able to surrender, trust, and follow your intuition, you can create anything you want for your life. That's, I think that's miraculous. All right, let's finish up. Tell us what um, Shakti Gawain said we should, we should say when we're trying to creatively imagine ourselves into a better chapter of our life. This is going to sound really familiar to most of you. And yet you may not have realized where it came from. So here it is. This or something better now manifest for me in totally satisfying and harmonious ways for the highest good of all concerned. That covers it, doesn't it? It does. I love that. So basically what I need, what I want is coming to me gently and kindly without hurting another soul. Something else that needs to be highlighted, this or something better. Because yes. sometimes we think we want this, but something better is actually out there waiting for us. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times that has happened in my life. Yeah, same. And you don't get the this and you think, oh, 
this manifesting stuff sucks. My imagination isn't working for me. This isn't happening. And then the better comes along and you're like, oh, that's what it means to go with the flow of the river. (laughs) (laughs) I have enjoyed this episode with you, Samantha. This has been fun to talk about. It has been, and we hope you guys have enjoyed it as well. Thank you as always for listening. Just a reminder, if you enjoy this show, please consider telling a friend or leaving us a review on iTunes. It really does help other people to find us. It helps our podcast to show up in searches and it helps us to grow our community. So we really would appreciate you helping us get the word out. Don't forget, you can always email us a question for our Q&A show, psychicteachers at gmail.com. We hope you join us on our Facebook page, psychic teachers where you can connect with us and we post lots of good follow-up information on every episode and once again our websites are samanthafay.com and debbowen.com we hope you guys imagine yourself into a beautiful week filled with magic and miracles please remember as always to be the light for yourself and others take care everyone Thank you for listening to Psychic Teachers, your podcast for seekers, lightworkers, mystics, and magical thinkers. If you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook page, Psychic Teachers, or our websites, samanthafay.com and debbowen.com. I have a new book out called The Awake Dreamer, Lucid Dreaming, Astral Travel, and Mastering the Dreamscape. You can find it wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening and have a great week.